Okay, good evening. This week we are learning Parshas Korach. And uh, some, some fascinating ideas uh, today. I hope I, can, I hope I can get everything in over here. Um, so let us begin. We know the overall story of Korach, that Korach gets up and he convinces a number of very important people to have a rebellion against Moshe and the main criticism is how is nepotism why are you the leader why is Aaron the leader weren't we all at Sinai we are all holy people why have you taken all the the good stuff so to speak the work of the Kohanim and everything else why isn't there why aren't you sharing it with everybody that's the basic complaint. Moshe was very upset about that, and he says, okay, you, you think you could do the work of a Kohen? So go and bring a fire pan tomorrow, and we'll see who's gonna be the winner. And of course, it did not end very pleasantly for Korach and these people. What happened was, number one, Korach and all his family get swallowed up. The 250 people bringing the fire pans get burnt up and effectively the argument was over. The Jews the next day complain about the harsh punishment and then God creates a plague again to kill a number of Jews, which is stopped when Aaron brings a fire pan around to them. So there's a lot of uh, very, so a lot to talk about, but I'm gonna focus on just one part of this story. And first we're gonna start with a Rashi I got the Hebrew and English, I think, almost on everything here today. And Rashi brings down from the Medrash, and I just want to focus on the first clause. Korach was a very astute person. What did he see to engage in this foolishness? And the Medrash goes on to say, well, he saw in the future, he was like a shtickle prophet, he saw that Shmuel, who was equal to Moshe and Aaron, would descend from himself, Korach. So he says, I can't lose because I'm going to have a descendant from that's going to come years from now. So I should be silent? <laughs> And, uh, and therefore he figured he, he can't lose. Now what was his mistake? What was the mistake? If Shmuel came from him, he so how, would, he, how could he get swallowed up and die? He thought he will not die, Aaron will die. I, he thought that, right. But, but, but actually he did die. Yeah. So where did Shmuel come from? His children, right? His children did chew up. Ah, his children did chew. Okay, very nice. Now, here is a, a question that I came across this week. And I've read this Rashi for many years. And the Medrash makes it as an assumption that he was a, an astute person. How does the Medrash know he was astute? What's the proof that he was astute? Smart. Very smart. Pikeach. Thank you. 
Very a smart guy. Now, where in the world? I mean, we know that Medrash says he was a very rich guy. That we know. Medrash tells us he found one of Yosef's three buried treasures. Where do we see that he's astute? That is one question. Okay. Source number two. So what happened? When the showdown came, the earth swallowed up, opened its mouth. It swallowed them, meaning Korach and his family, with all their households, all of Korach's people, and all of their possessions. Pusik seems to say they got all swallowed up. However, a few weeks from now, in Parshish Pinchas, in source number three, it clearly says, Ubenei Korach lo mesu. Sons of Korach did not die. So Rashi uh, fills in some of the blanks over here in source number four, even though they were together with their father in the beginning. But during the Machlokes, they uh, considered doing some tshuva, and therefore Hashem created an elevated area set apart from them in Gehenna, and they stayed there. That's what the Gemara in Sanhedrin tells us. But let's take it a little bit further and see exactly what happened over here. We know that uh, there are a number of Psalms that were written by King David. And the truth is he wasn't the only one to write them. We're going to skip for a minute and go to source 7. The Gemara in Baba Basra says that David wrote the book of Psalms by means of ten elders of previous generations. There are others who also added things, and he included in that. And you go through the list of people, and at the end of the list is the three sons of Korach. And I put down an interesting fact that how many Psalms did they write? Well, from 42 to 49, that's 9, 84, 85, 87, 88. That should come out, uh, that's 8, that should come out to 12. They wrote 12 Psalms. My goodness. That's interesting. Now let's back it up to source five. When we get to the first one of the Psalms that they wrote in source five. So Rashi over there tells us the whole story. He says, the three sons were named Asir, Elkanan, and Aviasaf. Rashi here in Te'ilim says more than Rashi here in this Barsha. He said at first they were in their father's council, but at the time of the controversy, they parted. And when all those around them were swallowed up and the earth opened its mouth, their place was left within the mouth of the word, earth. In other words, as they were falling, Asim stuck a ledge out for them. And they land on the ledge. Can you imagine this huge earthquake? And they fall, and there's a ledge for everybody else goes down the abyss, and they get caught on the ledge. Okay. And that's what it says, but the sons of Korach did not die. Now, Rashi brings, there they uttered a song, and there they composed these psalms. Then they ascended from there, and the Holy Spirit rested on them, whereupon they prophesied concerning the exiles, the destruction of the temple, and the Davidic dynasty. So it seems that the sons of Korach 
wrote some of the most magnificent psalms um, that are recorded. Yes? So, uh, when uh, Korach was being followed, he also said, right, that, that Moshe is true, his teaching is true. That's when he was at the bottom of Gehenna. Why, why he was not got saved that time? It's like... It was too late for him. He didn't do tshuva. This is already when he landed in Gehenna. When he landed in Gehenna, it's a little too late to do tshuva then. These guys were on the cleft. In other words, they were already thinking during the argument that maybe Moshe's right. Okay, so what we have to understand over here, and there's some very famous psalms that we say that which they wrote. Does anybody know any of them? The ladies would not know, but the men should know. Yeah, when was the last time you ever said it? No. You say it every Monday. Guys, you said it this morning. It's the psalm of the day for Monday. Hayom Yom Sheni B'Shabbos. And we say, Sheer Musmor Livnei Korah. Okay. 48. Forty-eight. We also say the psalm before we blow the shofar. Okay. We say that Lam Natsach seven times. It was written by the children of Korah. So it's pretty uh, pretty important. So what we want to explore today is what, what, what exactly is the symbolism behind these stories? In other words, were they actually in Gehenna and in Gehenna they composed poetry there? Is that what we do in Gehenna? Is we compose poetry? And and what is the message for us there? So can I just take a back step? So they were saved on a ledge did they actually go down to Gehenna after the after the ledge, or the, they came back out of them? There, Listen, I don't know exactly the um, geography of Gehenna uh, is that well. It's not on Google Maps. But they're falling down. <laughs> they're somewhere in the higher levels of Gehenna, okay. and they're still connected to this world. Not the seventh level. Yeah. While. Korah, everyone else just goes right to the bottom, right direct flight, a direct flight. They had a layover. Yeah. And they had a chance to, um, we'll have to see what's going on. Why, why, why should I give them a chance? And um, what exactly is the nature of saying these types of psalms over here? What, what's the real message over here? And why is it that the psalm for Monday is one of the psalms from the uh, children of Korah? Why, what's so significant about that on Monday? Okay, that's one set of questions. Now, there's another thing in Source 9. So finally, three times Hashem smacked up people really good. Korach and his family get swallowed up and his cohorts. The 250 leaders got burnt up with the fire pit. The next day, the Jews are complaining they get a plague. And then the next day, now you figure by this time the argument is over, no? Like, it's just, it doesn't pay to argue because 
when you open up your mouth, wham! Like three times. Three times should be a charm, right? Nobody's arguing anymore. You think Moshe is not the leader? Moshe is the leader. And God gave his stamp of approval again. So now what becomes interesting is the next day, Moshe tells every tribe to, per, to present to him a stick. And they all bring a stick, and Aaron brings a stick. And they all are to take the stick, and Moshe is going to put it into the Mishkan. And they're going to see the next day what happens. And the next day, only Aaron's stick blossomed as a stick. Sticks don't blossom. Blossom almonds grew from there. And he said, see, that's the proof. See, Aaron, he's the leader, not you guys. Look at source number nine. Moshe took out all the sticks from before Hashem to the Jews. And they saw, and everyone took his staff. Now let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer it specifically, but does anybody here buy lottery tickets? Okay, occasionally. Okay, come Saturday night. You look at the numbers, you're holding your breath, but not for very long. Because <clears throat> by the first two numbers, you know you're out of the game. Now, I want to know, what do you do with the lottery ticket after you lose? Throw it out. Throw it out. Or actually, sometimes you take it to the uh, vendor, you just get it confirmed that you, uh, that there's... Uh... <laughs> you're really holding on to Okay. <laughs> <laughs> when it's confirmed that you did not win, what, throw it out what do you do with it? Garbage. Yeah, you throw it out. So here, it doesn't seem they threw their sticks out. They took it. They took their sticks. Well, why? You guys all lost. You guys all lost. You see, Aaron, he's the one. We're going to leave his stick in the, in the temple. You guys lost. Moshe should just throw them out. You know, he could have showed it to them, just said there's no tricks. Here you see, nothing here. Look, take a look. And then throw it out. They didn't throw it out. Which is very strange. Because first question is, why did, this is another miracle. Now, I understand the first three miracles God did is to shut down the descent. Let's make it clear. We're not messing around. Moshe's the leader, and you dared question him being the leader. Out. One, two, three. Boom. Okay, so they give it. The white flag is out. Okay, okay, okay. We lost. So now, why does God have to do... God only does miracles for reasons. He already proved three times that there's no nepotism. What is God trying to show more? And in general, we have to understand what was the nature of the revolt. This is the discussion, and you're going to see this is very, very relevant. Some people figure not, because none of us are as smart as Korach, at least I'm not. And a lot of, but what is the real nature of the problem? Rashi from Chazal said he really was a pikech. Look at some interesting Arizal. The Arizal, I made it real easy to spot it. I even did it in bigger print. There's a Pasuk that says, Tzadik katomar yifroch. A Tzadik will sprout like the palm tree. And the last letters of Tzadik katomar yifroch spell Korach. 
which means he was a tzaddik. Many great Hasidic rebbers, one of them was the Choser from Lublin, who was a levy. Whenever he would mention Korach in a Torah class, he'd say, the Helika Zaidi Korach, which means the Holy Grandfather Korach. Because he was a Levite. He spoke very highly of Korach. The Oev Yisrael, the Abdur Rav, um, he was... Uh, he, uh, he, he, some of these people knew, knew where they were in previous lifetimes. And uh, he, he mentioned a lot of other things. He says, you know, I, I, my, my soul was there at another person at the time of Korach. And you should know Korach was able to rope in the best of the best, got persuaded by him. It wasn't the rabble. It was the best of the best he roped in. And you know what? But I somehow remained neutral in my previous existence because Moshe Rabbeinu was pretty good. But he said, I don't think any of you could have, we could have passed that. So clearly, Chazal, without question, say that he was an incredible tzaddik. So you have to understand, he was a tzaddik. And there's many, we've given many classes over the years to explain the depths of his sitkas and what his error was. But this time we want to make it a much more uh, relevant uh, topic. So what was the deeper sin over here that a tzaddik could make? And the best way to know what his sin was is perhaps looking at what Moshe's response to him was. And by seeing Moshe's response, then we can know what his claim was. But the first claim, the past success, he says, we're all holy people. We were all at Sinai. We all heard God speak to us. So why do you have to take everything for yourself? So let's see what Moshe responds in source number 11. He says, isn't it enough for you that Hashem has set you apart from the regular Jews and have given you duties as a levy? In, in, in the tribe that you can minister to the community and serve them. You already have a good job. You're already a levy. Right? And now and now that Hashem has advanced you to a levy, now you want to even become the priest? So listen, I've read you've already gotten some good stuff. So why is uh, you know like what's your problem? Now Rashi, a little bit earlier. When, he tell, when Moshe says, okay, everybody take a fire pad. So let's see what, how Rashi explains this. Why did he see Moshe? Why did he see fit to speak to them thus? He said to them, among the nations, there are various forms of worship and many priests, and they do not all gather in one temple. We, however, have only one God, one ark, one Torah, one altar, one coin goddle. But you, 250 men, are all seeking to be the high priest? Then Moshe says, I too would prefer that. I would want it. Here, take for yourselves the service most dear. It's the incense, more cherished than any other service, but it contains deadly poison by which Nodim and Avia were burnt. Therefore, he warned them, it will be the one whom the Lord chooses, he is going to be the Holy One, meaning that he is already in his state of holiness. Is it not obvious that the one who is chosen is the Holy One? 
question. Moshe told him, I'm telling you this so you should not be found guilty for those who chooses will survive unless you will perish. So he's warning them. He's saying, listen guys, only one guy's going to win this one. He's trying to, it's not like you, you tell them and they think, oh, maybe 250 people will get it. No, he's saying, I'm guaranteeing you that out of the 251 people bringing him, 250 will die. You want to take your chances? Okay. But what's this idea of we have one God, one altar, one coin, God, etc., etc.? What was Moshe telling them? What was Moshe's answer? And this is the thrust of the issue over here. They said they all wanted to serve Hashem as Kohanim. And they asked, why should we be excluded? We are all holy. Why are you raising us above others? Everybody's holy. We all have the right to get close to Hashem as well. So why is intimacy with Hashem reserved for only a very few people? Why is the gift of being one with Hashem a gift of only a few individuals? Now, let's think about this. And this is very interesting. This is something that... uh, Well, let me give a few examples of this. Uh, uh, Sometimes you have uh, great rabbis who give great Talmudic speeches, and there's a lot of great students who can understand what's going on, but a regular guy there just doesn't relate to what's going on. It's just say, I have no idea what they're talking about. It's way above me. And standing and listening doesn't really do much for you. Um... One of the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for, uh, difficult holidays to enjoy for women is Simcha's Torah and Purim to a lesser extent because the the criticism is all we get to do is watch. <laughs> we get to watch the men dance and make, you know, and they don't even dance half as good as women, which I will agree and how come we can't dance with the Torah, right? And all, what, what do we do? Just watch them, watch them get drunk, hope they don't embarrass us too much. And it's like, like so you're all too, uh, too uh, special to speak out what might be on your minds. Why should we be excluded? Aren't we holy? Aren't we good enough to risk our lives to bear children? And, uh, and our children can dance with her and we can't. So, but people have these feelings. And let's try to understand how did they know he was so astute? And from Moshe's answer and from the story itself will show you how clever he was. You wanna know why he was so clever? Because the mistake that he made is the same mistake that everyone, including ourselves, has made for thousands of years. It's not just a dumb mistake. It's a mistake that has endured. So there must be some tremendous cleverness to it. If it's a really stupid claim, people wouldn't repeat the same stupid claim. But if it's really a smart claim, so people will use it again and again and again. As you'll see, you're gonna say, I don't know what the rabbi's talking about. I don't, I don't complain like Korach does. We'll see, we'll see. We'll see. I do, maybe you do too. 
And here is the key to the whole class. Just have to remember this line. The key is two words. Vocation and status. And that's what the title of the class is. Don't confuse vocation with status. That's the whole Parsha class. Now I have to explain what that means. And he made a mistake. He made a wrong assumption that some Jews are fundamentally holier than other Jews by virtue of their vocation. So, for example, a Jew who happens to be the Kohen Gadol and his vocation is to work in the holiest of holies must be holier than others while others are not. And all we can do is watch. For example, on Yom Kippur, what did Jews do on Yom Kippur? They wait, the coin Gadol, if you were in Yerushalayim, you watch the coin Gadol go in to the Heichal and you wait, you wait. Is he coming out alive? Is he not coming out alive? Oh, he came out alive and his face is shining. Whoa, hey! Yashakayach, you did a great job. You forgave us all. And we're just passive bystanders. And Korah says, isn't everybody holy? Don't we all belong in the holies of holies? Like, how exciting can Yiddishkeit be if you're not one of the machers? If you're just part of the cast of thousands? And the mistake was, and here's such an important mistake, just because your vocation may be in the Mishkan, if Daikaran, it doesn't necessarily make you closer to Hashem than anybody else. For example, how do we know this? Look at source 13, the prophet Yeshaya. We say this three times a day. It says the angels in Shemayim, they call each other and they say, Kadosh, 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 Hashem Tzvakos, Meloch al Haaretz Kivoto, whose presence fills the entire earth. Does God's presence only fill the holiest of holies? Doesn't it fill the entire planet? Does it not fill your home? Uh, another uh, statement in Tehillim, which we say in Davening as well every Shacharis, 14. How many are your things you have made? Hashem, kulam b'chachmasisa. You made them all with wisdom. The earth is full of your creations. And the messenger Magid plays on the word Kinyanecha. And it, your, your Kinyan, Kinyan can be a creation. Kinyan can also be an acquisition. And the messenger Magid says, really, the world is filled with things that enable us to acquire Hashem. You want to get close to Hashem? You want to have uh, a great spiritual experience? It's everywhere to be found. Yes, it's in the holiest of holies. And yes, the coin Gadol is the one who goes to the holiest of holies. But does that preclude for any of us to not have an authentic encounter with Hashem? If the whole world is filled with Hashem and everything in this world 
is an opportunity to grasp Hashem. Now the challenge is to find Hashem where you are in your journey. And here's another important idea. Most likely you're not going to find your place in other people's places. And that's a major issue. You know, some people, if you're a rabbi, so what is your big Yetzirah? How come I'm not that rabbi? That rabbi has a thousand congregants. He's on podcasts all over the world. He, and, and whenever it's important issues, great rabbis call him, and he's a panelist on this and that and everything else. And what would be the Korach mistake would be, why can't I ever get that opportunity? And therefore, you have to be careful. Some people, you can go through all the examples now. Young women who can't find a shidduch. Well, certainly you're going to find holiness in the holiness of marriage, aren't you? Isn't that all about kiddushin and holiness? And what about young girls who are not able to find this? So what's the Korach mistake? Well, I guess, you know, it's all about the vocation. If you're married, you have the vocation of marriage, and now you got the status. And without that, you're not. That's the Korach mistake. People who are not blessed with children. <coughs> children is such an opportunity. You don't have, you're not blessed with people blessed with money that they could help people give tzedakah and instead you have to be on the receiving end and therefore Korach was correct in everything in every aspect he was 100% correct only one little error and this was the genius he understood that every Jew is definitely capable of an experience of an encounter of holiness with Hashem He's absolutely right. The only mistake was, but there's so many different ways to accomplish it. His mistake is he confused vocation with status. He figured if you're a coin goddle, so let us all be a coin goddle. Why can't we take turns? So everyone gets that experience. And that makes a lot of sense. He was very clever. He, he understood that Jews are children of Hashem and there's no reason why we can't have that holy experience of Hashem. And why is it that it's only Moshe and Aaron and certain people get picked with this? What about the common man? Remember, Korach was for the common man. But what did he mean? He said the common man is not so uncommon or he's not so common. The common man is uncommon or it's or it's common for the common man to be holy. There is no such thing as a common man. And we all can do what Moshe is doing. He's absolutely right, except not in Moshe's way. But somebody can do it in another way, and it'll be just as great as Aaron. He was right on every single point. And that shows he was clever. Because most people think, no, I just can't be holy. He's like, what are you talking about? We all, and he was right. We all can be holy. We can all have this great divine experience with Hashem of Dvekus. 
but he thought it only can come in certain ways. Let's give a simple example of this. Let's say you have, you have a body and you have a kidney and the kidney really is jealous of the heart. The kidney says, all I get to do is clean up the garbage. Every day I take out the garbage with the blood. I don't get to any pumping. I'd like to do some pumping. Why don't I get a turn to pump? Well, the heart is saying, all I do is pump. How come I can't be the brain? Why can't we take turns? No, if we would take turns, the system would die. But guess what? Because the kidney takes out the garbage and because the heart pumps and because the brain sends brain waves, everybody keeps the body alive. And that's true with every one of the Jewish people. The Jewish people are one large whole. And every Jew, and, and, and believe me, if the kidneys would stop doing what kidneys do, the person dies. Well, it's a very unglorious job. That brain, that's a glorious job. But guess what? That's the brain's job. The brain finds its fulfillment in keeping you being alive with what the brain does. But everyone has different things to do. So, so the real challenge, and this is, 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 is not easy, is how to discover Hashem even not. And, and let me say further, what's true for the entire Jewish people is true within the individual Jew at different moments in his life. There are moments in your life where you feel that you're mamish in the holiest of holies. Maybe on a Yom Kippur, you're in the holiest of holies. Or in the midst of doing an incredibly important mitzvah. But then there's other times where you feel that you're mamish in an abyss. You're uh, exercising, you trip, you fall, you break your leg. You were running around, you were Mr. or Mrs. Important. Everybody was counting on you. Everyone was relying on you. You were saving the day for everybody. Wow, those, those are great feelings. I'm really doing things for Hashem and I feel good about myself. And now you're laid up for six weeks and you can barely move. And at that point, you're saying, you know what? I, there's no holiness now. So you got to realize, no, even within your life, there's times where you're in the holiest of holies, and sometimes you're mamish in Gehenna. And you can always connect to Hashem, but guess what? Hashem may desire your connection in different ways. And Korah thought there was only one way to connect to Hashem in a holy place. So he demanded that everybody be put there. And this was, and how do we know that's what he wanted? Because you see from Moshe's answer, the way Rashi explained. Moshe said, we have one of everything. There is one God. And what's the one thing about, what do we mean when it's a one God? What do we mean when we say Hashem is a God? You know what we mean? Is that Hashem is not defined. Can you exactly tell me what Hashem is? We can tell you what Hashem isn't. But he's not defined. What does that mean that Hashem is not defined? That means there's infinite ways that a person can connect to Hashem. It's not just if you're a man, 
studying Torah, giving a lot of tzedakah, doing a lot of chesed, and that's how you connect to the infinite God. Or if you're a woman, however you want to decide, having babies, making challah, whatever, going to the mikvah, that's, that's when I connect to Hashem. But uh, not during postpartum booze. Not when I'm having meltdowns over my little baby and, and, I, and I'm giving all these mood swings and all this. And not when a man is going through midlife crisis. Not when a man is, is forced into retirement and realizes he's not really productive anymore. Or a woman for the same matter. Right? There's, by the fact that there's one Hashem who's undefined means the way to connect Hashem is undefined. And there's no less greatness and, and this experience of Hashem. There's no limit as to how you can experience Hashem. And you can't say, well, when I was younger and my brain was sharper, I could understand Gomorrah better or I could uh, read Hebrew better. And now that I, uh, my ship has sailed or it's about to sail, so now I'm just uh, on cruise control and we'll wait till God mercifully... Uh, and I just hope I get some nachas so I can be busy going to this child in this city and this child in this city and still feel a little bit useful. You know, th- these are challenges that we all are going through and, and we could be very miserable. And then we could say, yeah, well, the problem is because that's, Hashem never gave me a good job. If it would have just given me a good job. So do you see where we all are liable and maybe have made the same Korach mistake in our lives? At one point or another, you make that mistake. You know, there was a story, uh, I don't remember who, it was a particular fellow who was not well. He was very bedridden for a long time, was suffering of not a pleasant disease. And what was so amazing is when any people came to visit him, he was smiling, he was happy, cheerful. And people looked at him and said, are you crazy? You're laid up in bed like this, you can't do anything. What are you so cheerful about? Okay, think about the last time you were laid up for a few weeks, all right? Cheerful, happy. What answer does he give? He says, listen, we know the Talmud says that the Shekhinah rests over a sick person. We know that from Yaakov Avinu. We also know another rule. The Shekhinah only rests where there's simcha and joy. So I have a special job for the Shekhinah to rest on my bed. I was chosen that the Shekhinah should rest on my bed. But if I'm going to be unhappy, I'll chase the Shekhinah away. And that was the job Hashem gave me to do now. And this is my connection to Hashem. This is my Kotchek Kadoshim. This is my holiest of holies. I'm the sick bed to be happy. And I'm just as holy as Aaron Akohen is. Because there's not just one way to get close to Hashem. There's so many ways to get close to Hashem. So this was what Korach did not understand. And we and and when and that's why there's so much suffering. In this where people say, you know, oh, I want to be happy. I got a, a thousand likes. Right? I got how many followers? 
right? How many people uh, listen to my podcast? Oh, wow, oh, wow. 5,000 people, wow, I, 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 that's good. I really feel like I'm doing something for the Jewish people. No, and what if it's just five people? And maybe one of those five people decides to, to change his whole life, right? So that's, this is the problem we all have. So this is interesting. Source 15, famous Gemara and Shabbos. A Gentile once came before Shammai and said, convert me to Judaism on the stipulation you teach me the entire Torah as I stand on one leg. So he goes to Shammai and Shammai drives him away with a builder's measuring stick. You know, like those levels. He said, get out of here. He then comes to Hillel and Hillel says, no problem, I'll, I'll tell you. You want to know on one, one leg? What is hateful to you, do not do to your fellow man. This is the entire Torah. The rest is commentary. Go and learn it. So obviously there's a lot of questions on this piece of Talmud. Since when can, you, can I explain a class to any of you while I'm on one leg? Or while you're on one leg? And we don't know anywhere that Shammai was a builder who had a level. And also... It's hard to say that Shammai drove him out because Shammai said in Pirkei Avos, you should greet everybody with a cheerful countenance. So what's going on over here? So the answer is like this, is two steps, says the Messenger Barkin. What the convert said was like this. He says, I would like to convert, but I'd like to be converting on one foot at all the time, meaning right now I'm very excited you know, when someone wants to convert, they're very excited. You know, the flaming balchuva. The flaming balchuva. Remember, though, he's just, oh, this is so good. This is so amazing. Can you imagine a flaming convert? All the more so. Giving up this life of phoniness for the real thing. And he says, can you convert me on one leg? Means, can you convert me in a way that I'll always feel this way? I will always have this, this leg, this, this regal, this regilus this this uh nature because regal calls me regilus it's it's you're being accustomed to this i want to convert i'm always going to be on a high and shammai just said i'm really sorry but he takes a building level and he says you know when you're building a house you know when you build a house you know things expand things contract things can never stay the same so therefore, what you're expecting is, is, it can't be, it's not sustainable. There's no such thing in life as stability. The one thing you can be sure of in life is that things will never always stay the same. That's why I bless Hashem every day. My wife says, how'd your day go? I said, Boruch Hashem, boring. Boruch Hashem, no excitement doing the same thing, sitting and learning, preparing my classes. No one's complaining. No one's criticizing. I didn't do anything stupid. I didn't get in an accident. Baruch Hashem, amazingly boring. I'm thrilled and I'm excited. I don't got anything new to say. Not same old, same good. Same good. All right? But, you know, life isn't going to be that way forever. Right? You go through your life, right? And you go through this period where they tell you you have cancer. Okay? 
So you're gonna have those. You have times like that too. You have times like that that you know people you know do get sick and do get into accidents and you know you lose a lot of money. Okay. So what Shammai is saying is life doesn't stay on one foot. It can't be because that's not stability. The real stability of life is with expansion, contraction. That's how life goes. So that was answer number one. So he didn't give up, but he wanted to know more. So he goes to Hillel and he's asking Hillel, why is God doing it that way? Is why is life that way? Shammai told me life is not going to be smooth. It's like a structure. The structure needs balance, and the balance is expansion and contraction. Happy times and not happy times. That's what a balanced life is. If you expect it to all be good, you're not balanced and you'll fall. Because if you're expecting everything to be happy days are here forever... What happens when it's not happy? You fall. But now, but the convert, potential convert wants to know more. He says, so he goes to Hillel. He says, okay, I understand. He told me I can't expect it to be that good. But why is it that way? So it's very interesting. There's a, a statement in the Talmud that says, Ger shiniskayir kikotan shinoladomi. A ger, a convert, who converts is like a newborn again person. Now, what's the problem with that statement? It shouldn't say a convert who converts. It should say a goy who converts. <laughs> it should say a goy who converts is like a child who's born. No, it says a convert who converts. Understand, if he's a convert, he already converted. So what's going on over here? And the other question that they all ask is why in the world do converts convert at all? Why do some converts convert while others don't? They don't be converts then. I'm sorry? They won't be converts if they don't convert. <laughs> no, but why is it that some do and some don't? Is there a rhyme and a reason to it? Do you want to say that everyone who became a convert was much infinitely smarter than those who aren't? No, there's a lot of people not very high intellect who convert. Do you want to say that, well, maybe the converts go through more troubles than, than the ones who don't convert? Not necessarily a very wealthy, successful people convert. What is it that people convert about? And the answer is when God wanted to give the Torah to the world, the whole world was screaming no. But you got to know, even though all the people from the, the descendants of Esau screaming no, there were a couple who were trying to say yes, but they got out screamed. And they wanted to convert, but they weren't allowed to convert. But in God's eyes already, as far as he was concerned, they were already converted without knowing it. Because God combines your will to action. The only problem is, there's a little problem with delivery right now. So God will wait 500 years, 1,000 years, and then he'll bring that soul back and all of a sudden, that soul that really wanted to be a Jew is the convert who's converting. So he had it there, so to speak. Ah, but we're not finished. We have to go to a little piece of Breslov Torah to understand a little bit more. And here's a very deep idea. You know why 
we're meant to fall many times in our service to Hashem and struggle because when we get up it creates a dynamic that helps others get up it creates an energy a spiritual energy in the world when a Jew runs into trouble and fails and falls into the slime pits of sin or the slime pits of despair and now the Jew gets up he doesn't get up for himself he creates a positive energy that will help others get up as well and therefore he's telling him I want to explain to you why life is not perfect because Hashem wants us to fall why? so we can help others get up there are some who can fall and can get up there's others who fall and can't get up so how do they get inspired to get up when they see there's others who can get up and he's saying and you know why you're converting because somebody was getting up now and therefore he says that which you hate don't do to others and that's the same thing because others have fallen and will get up so if you fall you get up too and don't look at the person who falls as anything bad don't hate him because he's falling because that same falling person got up and got you up and that's why we have to appreciate and that is the greatest um, attachment you could have to Hashem Who's, who, what's more important to Hashem a high priest who serves in the temple or a Jew who falls in sin gets up and is able to bring others up with him and when you're in that place of fallenness, you don't feel very holy. You didn't say, I didn't ask for this job. But Hashem is saying, but this is precisely the place where you're going to find me. And there's no, there's no way of describing this divine experience. You know, it's like, it's like, what color is water? Has no color. So what color? What color does it have? The color it assumes based on what it's surrounded with. So you want to know what color is kedusha? No color of kedusha is whatever color Hashem puts into it. Whatever He asks you to do. If He asks you to to drive somebody somewhere on an obnoxious trip, but it's a chesed for somebody, that's what kedusha looks like. If it's to lead the services uh, for Neila, that's what Kedusha looks like. Kedusha has all kinds of visions over here. Okay? And uh, how does a person who's in an ivory tower get a person out of the mud? By getting out of the ivory tower. And that's for whatever, whatever you don't want to be done to you, don't do to others. Would you want people to leave you in the mud? So go in the mud and take them out. Sometimes you have certain days you know from the beginning there's going to be a rotten day. It's going to be a rotten day. You have to say, no, 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 this is the day where you're going to bring light out of this darkness, and that's where you can do a better job than the coin bubble does today. Okay? And this is the rule. Never see yourself as a victim, rather as an ambassador. 
and an ambassador has to do the jobs that Hashem gives the person to do. Just like Eliyahu at Mount Carmel, there were two, there were two animals. One animal would be Elijah's offering and one would be from the false prophets. And when it was time to, to tell the animal to go to the false prophets, he didn't want to go. He goes under Eliyahu's cloak. So I don't want to go with these guys. These guys are charlatans. Why should I be the one that doesn't get offered? He said, he whispers in his ears, listen, you're doing the same kiddush Hashem as the other one. By them not getting answered by you is as great as him getting answered. And really, if you think about it, your Avodas Hashem is like being on a Ferris wheel. Um, Pesach, when we were in Niagara Falls, once you got to do something with the grandchildren. Oh, the big... Uh, so, you know, there's that big Ferris wheel. Yeah. Big Ferris wheel. Now, that's, that's a very big lesson. You know, a lot of things in Judaism is circles. Gilgulim, Galgal, the constellations, everything's going in circles. So let me ask you, where's the top of the Ferris wheel, where's the bottom? Top's at 12 o'clock. Says who? <laughs> it's round. It's round. There's no, no start point. Right. I think there was a, a, a pop song about 50 years ago. The world is a circle, it has no beginning, it has no end. I remember the niggin, but I don't want to sing it. <laughs> you know? But, but you know, when, when, and when you're on that Ferris wheel, when they're taking people on and off, and you're at the top, and you're standing at the top, wow. And then when you're at the bottom, mm. but it's the same Ferris wheel. It's the same God who's turning the Ferris wheel. Okay, so what they told to the convert doesn't mean you're always going to be on the top of the Ferris wheels. But when things go to the bottom, don't make the mistake that Korah makes. Because you only went down is because you were there to bring somebody up. And we see this from Yosef HaTzadik. You don't have to go into details. Yosef's in jail. How is he able to resist all the temptations? He sees his father's face. What does that mean? He sees that I, even in Egypt, I am in the holiest of holies. And the greatest Kiddush Hashem that the Rambam has used as an example is Yosef's resistance to this. So therefore, this is the... Uh, so, so, what, so again, so Korah said, we're all an Adas Kodesh. We're all a holy people. You're right. But just don't decide that some people are holier than others. It's just that people have different jobs and Hashem allocates different jobs. And just as God is indefined, so you can reach him in indefined ways. And now if that was his mistake, then his children made the same mistake. And really, if you think about it, that mistake goes a little further. We can also make a mistake and think there are two groups. There are those who are presently in paradise and those that are presently in Gehenna. Now that could be after you die or while you're alive. There are certain people who are going through certain stressful times in their lives and they feel they're in Gehenna. And there's other people, wow, it's just great, I'm in Gan Eden now. And the mistake they made, there's two groups. But no, the truth is, Wherever you are, you could choose to make a Gehenim or Ganeda. When Moshe sees the burning bush, what does he do? He goes over the burning bush, and what does Hashem tell him to do? He says, the place you're at is holy. Stop, stop. The place you're at is holy. What do you mean stop, the place I'm at is holy? So the rabbis say, you think the burning bush is holy? No, no, no. You know what's holy? Right where you are right now. 
where you are right now on this earth before the burning bush, Hashem is over there just the same. You know, it's interesting. Let's say, let's say you want to make an appointment to meet somebody. And the person wants to meet you in a back alley. Because there's something secret to tell you. So what do you do? You go to the Four Seasons by the, uh, uh, the, the bar over there. Fancy place. And the guy doesn't show up. Why is he coming? The answer is he said he doesn't want to meet you at the Four Seasons. He wants to meet you behind the alley. If you're going to insist to meet him at the Four Seasons when he wants to see you at the alley, you're never going to see him. Hashem sometimes insists, I want to see you in the alley. No, 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 I want to see you in the Four Seasons. But Hashem says, I want to see you in the alley. Is it, me, is it where we meet or who we meet? All right? So you have to meet a person where he wants to meet you, not where you want to be. And Hashem decrees where he will meet you. I'm going to meet you in this sickness, God. I'm going to meet you when you're short on money. I'm going to meet you after someone insulted you. I'm going to meet you when your best friend backstabbed you and you're broke. And that's exactly where I plan on meeting you. And you are going to create the holiest most divine response and you'll feel that closeness to Hashem like you never felt to Hashem before in your life. And again, so the question is, how do you know what that connection to Hashem looks like? And the answer is, I can't tell you until you get there. And I can't, and nobody else can describe it to you. If you're saying to some, and that's a big problem with a lot of people, Bali Chuva and other even FFBs, we always want to be where everybody's at because if it's okay for them, it's okay for us. Not necessarily true. Just to be clones of everybody else, that's not what Hashem's interested in. Hashem wants you to find your place where you're going to meet Hashem. So now let's, uh, so now we're going to see now, we've got to, we've got to wrap things up soon. So Korach's children, they taught us the perspective now, where do they sing those songs of praise similar to David HaMelech? In Gehenna. The, the children taught us the perspective that even in Gehenna you can compose Tehillim. Remember, what is tshuva? Tshuva is a person's in the same spot, same situation, same temptation, but this time does it right. So what was their tshuva? Their tshuva was they always felt we're not in the position to be close. To, what was their avera? Their avera was, they think, it's all where you're at. It's my vocation. That's my status. That's the avera. So I didn't do tshuva on that. You have to do tshuva by what? Declaring status without vocation. And B'davka, they said, they, the only way we're going to feel close to you is in the Kachek Adashim. Hashem says, no, I'll give you one last chance. You're going to be heading down to Gehenna. I give you a chance now. to that You really want to get close to me? Try it over there. Now, had they said, well, what a, like Laurel and Hardy, what a fine mess you got us into, Ali. <laughs> Hashem says, you could stay in hell. He says, if you can create Psalms in Gehenna, then I know you've done Shuvah. And, that, and your life will be spared. And that is why you see some amazing things in Tehillim. Source number 106, one of the famous, uh, when we, we were in camp 50 years ago, it's a great song. Ashir al-Hashem b'chayai, I shall sing to the Lord while I'm alive. Azamr al-Lokai I will sing praise to God as long as I exist. Meaning all of life is a song. 
Okay? So now we want to understand, so what's the idea of, uh, of Monday being the day where we sing the song of the children of Korah? And looks like I did not put a medrash in here that I should have. Let me just see, do I have it there? No. So anyway, the maybe it's somewhere, but I don't have it. I don't think so. Um, what happened on the second day of creation? <coughs> Hashem split the higher waters and the lower waters. That was the first time there was a split. There was a machlokes, a split. The higher waters and the lower waters. Now what happened? The lower waters were crying. And they said, why should we be so far away? The higher waters, they're right up there. They're in the Kutche Kadashim. And we're, we're here in the swamps, down on earth. And they were crying. And Hashem had to uh, appease them. He said, don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You know, you, we're going to take the, the oceans and we're going to create salt from that. And the salt will go on Korbanos on the Mizbeach. And we'll take water, and on Sukkot we'll have the water drawing libation where it'll go up to the Mizbeach. So, what, what was going on over here? What was going on is the waters were making the same mistake that Korach and his sons made. They said, why should we have a less situation that our waters are so far away from Hashem? And the message is, yes, even though there's a split, and it looks like they're holier waters and not holier waters, the answer is, no, no matter where you are, you could be holy water. If you accept the judgment of Hashem, and don't get upset, and don't try, Hashem, they were trying to first flood the world, they're so upset. Hashem said, no, you're not going to flood the world. Take it easy. Accept the judgment. Realize that you can accomplish below on this earth things just like people above, but you got to get into the dirt to do it. And if you do your job well, you'll be able to go to the Mizbech. And that's what happened on the second day. The second day was the very first time where God made differences. And when things are made different, everybody complains, how come I don't have the better job? And on that second day already, Hashem says, you don't realize you've got very important jobs. Yes, it's nice to be up in the heavens, but guess what? You're going to irrigate the earth. You're going to create plants and food and people are going to live. You're going to bring life to mankind by being down here instead of being up there. Yeah, up there is closer to God, but who says you got to be close to God that way? You can be close to God in, in so many other ways. And let's take a look at what they, uh, what did they say in their psalm? So let's back it up because I think we brought that psalm for the day. Whoa, back at source number eight. And just look at a few lines of what they say. Look at source eight. This is the psalm for Monday. He says, Gadol Hashem Muhulama, oh, the Lord is great and much acclaimed in the city of our God, his holy mountain. What does that say? Oh, see where God is? He's in the he's in the base Hamigdash. Elohim Barbanosan Through its citadels, God has made himself known as a haven. Yeah, that's the place to be. Up in up in Yerushalayim, up in the high places. Isn't that the place to be? Diminu can mean we hope, but it also can mean we thought. Elohim Chastech, we thought about your kindness. Bekerv Hechelach is in the midst of the temple. 
We thought that all your kindness is in the midst of the temple. But the truth is not that way. Kishimcha Elohim, as is your name, Kaintiloscha, so is your praise. Al Katzveyeretz, to the ends of the earth. Tzedek Molimenecha, your right hand is full of righteousness. What did they understand? They understood, yeah, it looks like holiness is only in special places. But the truth is, holiness is everywhere. And that's what Monday's about. Monday is the day that there was genuine divisiveness of task, but not reduction of holiness. And that's when, and who would be best to, answer, to explain that? The one who did tshuva. The one who fell down and came up. And they're the ones that can give hope to everybody who feels that they're so far away. And certainly that's a message we need to hear on Rosh Hashanah. When Hashem's about to judge us and to judge how we've fallen down and to figure what kind of life are we going to be judged to be on a high place or in a low place and to realize that who says it matters where you are. And if you're in the low place, you can serve Hashem and you can coronate. Hashem is the time of Malchus. So who coronates Hashem? Only the people on the top? What about the people on the bottom? Aren't they important? Aren't they useful? Now, if you look at the politics that's going on, you'd think otherwise. Only people who live in Washington really make, make any decisions of any importance. If you're out of the beltway, you don't count. You're not worth anything. But the Kurdish Baruch was saying, no, in my realm, everybody's worth plenty. Okay, so now we've answered everything except one thing. What did we not answer yet? What was the purpose of... So now we understand why he was clever. It was a very clever idea. We understand what his mistake is, and that's the mistake we do all the time. So now we have to understand, so what was his idea with the sticks? If Hashem proved everything, why did they have to put the sticks into the, uh, the Mishkan? So the answer is, Hashem, you know, you, you can sometimes win an argument, but you haven't persuaded the losers. Right? You, you can win the argument, but they're still not, you know, you, okay, you beat me, but they put up a white flag, but there's, you haven't won them over. So, in other words, they're saying, why can't everybody be the leader? So Hashem says, you can't. Bam, bam, bam. Okay, shut up, and let's do as you're told. Okay, you win. Okay, Hashem won, but did he win them over? No. And you know what? First you got to win before you can win them over. If a person still thinks he can win, then you can't win them over. You know, you know peace, the only time there's really peace is when one side clobbers the other. If you don't clobber the other side, there's no peace. When did we have peace? After World War I, the Germans got clobbered. World War II, we bombed Hiroshima and Nagasaki. Now we can make peace. The Germans were destroyed. Now we can make peace. And now we can make peace. We can even rebuild your country and make, begin, make you an ally of ours. Mm. So first, Hashem has to beat us. Now he can try to win us over. So what does Hashem say? Okay, he says, guys, what, what, did, what did you want? You want to go into the Holy Holies? Yeah, but you know you're going to get killed. Okay, I'll let you reenact it one more time. I'll let you reenact it one more time. And no one's going to die. Okay, everyone take a stick. Now a stick, it's like a walking stick. It really is symbolic of your ability to journey. It had walking sticks. 
And it shows that you're regal and you can go places. Okay, so all of you guys, you want to go in the holiest of holies without being the threat of getting killed. I'll even grant you that. Okay, give me your stick and we'll put it into the holy temple. Which also answers the question, why couldn't he just leave 12 sticks outside and let the miracle happen? Why'd it have to be in the holy temple? He says, let's reenact it the way you want it. Okay, good. We're all putting our sticks in. Now, you're all the same holy, yeah? Okay, let's see which one sprouts. Oh, only Aaron's sprouted. What does that mean? It means to say, you know what? The job in the temple is only suited for him. And even if you want to go there, that's not your job. You will not be able to be fruitful in that place. It just doesn't work for you. But does that mean you're not holy? Now take the stick and go somewhere to make it sprout somewhere else. It's not going to sprout over here. Don't make it happen where it's not going to happen. You want to force your kid to be a, a Talmud Chacham. Guess what? He's not cut out to be a Talmud Chacham. Why do you want him to sprout where the other sticks are sprouting? Where he's not going to sprout over there. Let him be an honest car mechanic. And he can make a lot of money. And he can support schools. And he'll sprout there. So he gives them back the stick. It's not a lottery ticket that you lost. It's just to the wrong lottery. There's more than one lottery in Yiddishkeit. So you didn't win this one, but you got the ticket. You got a holy soul. Now use the ticket where you could win. Take the stick and go somewhere else, and then you'll be able to master it. And, that also, and that's the final message. Now he didn't just defeat them, he wins them over. Now they really got the message. He says, why am I making this mistake? I'm confusing vocation with status. If my stick's only in the temple, then I have status? No, take your sticks down to the slime pits and bring Jews that are so far away. Bring your temper that's unbridled and bridle it and bring it back into your divine soul and act properly. And that is your stick and that is your blossom that will happen in other places. We are all meant to blossom everywhere. Just don't tell God where it has to be. Let him have something to say about it. And generally, he'll lead you in that path. And when you say, why is God doing it? The answer is very simple, because he wants your staff to blossom in that place where you don't expect it. And that's why just one other nice gematria, or wordplay in the last source, when it says the lower waters began to cry, we want to stand before Hashem. The Hebrew word for crying is bochim, crying which stands for Baruch Kevod Hashem Mim Komo. That's what blessed is the honor of Hashem from his place. You're crying? That's the place where Hashem wants you to be able to do it. This is a, such a beautiful parsha to begin the 40 days before Tisha B'Av. That's why temples get destroyed because everyone wants to be running the show where they don't belong. If you are happy with what Hashem gives you, and he says, this is where your ambassadorship is, and this is where you're going to give me the greatest nachas. And not only that, that's where you're going to feel that spiritual connection. And that spiritual connection doesn't have to be this way. It could be this way. And being able to overcome a, an addiction that you have 
or being able to help somebody and it's so hard and it may not be as glorious but it's the same Kedusha that's the mistake he made and we should learn from his mistakes and to be happy people with where we're at okay thank you all for listening